welcome to Haunted by Proxy. I'm Landon. And I'm Joey. This story is called The Donner Cut. I love Superman. He has been my favorite character for as long as I can remember. I used to make my mom and dad lay down on their back and use their legs to lift me so I could feel like I was flying when I was a kid. If I'm being honest, I even tried doing this recently with my girlfriend. Her name is Maxine. I made this up to keep her anonymous, but I call her Lois as a nickname. She can't lift me as well as my dad could because she's only 5 foot 5 and 90 pounds. She's petite, very pretty, and even prettier when she wears a pantsuit like Lois Lane. She sometimes cosplays as Harley Quinn or Poison Ivy, but she always changes into her Lois Lane outfit if I pout enough, which I do, every single time. I met her after her high school graduation ceremony. She was my neighbor growing up, but I never saw her, as she was homeschooled and largely kept indoors. On her graduation day, she was outside in a cap and gown, and I saw her from my room, and I immediately ran outside and said she looked like she could be the lowest lane to my Superman. She said she had never heard such a thing in her whole life, and thought it was very interesting. We have a love story for the ages. I only say all of this because it will be very important later. On my 32nd birthday, we moved to an apartment near the historic downtown area. I will not say where to keep this as anonymous as possible. Lois decided it would be great to see something other than the quiet suburb we grew up in, and seeing as we'd been together almost six months at this point, we thought we could try to move in together. So we packed up while our parents were away at work and moved out to our new apartment. It was amazing at first. Every night we watched a movie that I wanted to watch and not Columbo reruns. She had never seen TV or movies, so I showed her a whole new world of exciting possibilities. But it started to get a little harder as time moved on. I'm not sure why, but she started wanting to dress up as different characters from the movies and shows we were watching, and kept going to a fabric store in the downtown area where we lived. I started getting suspicious, but each time I asked her about it, she just kept saying, I'm doing this for you, even though I only ever said that the female superheroes and Lois Lane were very pretty never intimated that I wanted her to be them. One night I called to her as she was in the bathroom for a long time and I was getting worried. Lois, Lois, are you okay, honey? I finally went into the bathroom. It was locked, but I had figured out a way to open the door with a toothpick because of something that happened earlier in our time together and saw that she wasn't even in there anymore. There was a small window above the toilet that it seemed she had been able to open and leave through. I was very scared at this point for a few reasons. One, we lived on the third story and there were no fire escape stairs or anything below the window to land easily. And two, she was obviously cheating on me with someone at the fabric store and she must have finally decided to leave me for them. I watched a few episodes of Lois and Clark before falling asleep that night. Sometimes it's nice to just watch something comforting and Terry Hatcher always puts a smile on my face. The best Lois, in my opinion. The next day I woke up and immediately went to the fabric store. I asked the owner, Meredith I'll call her, if she had seen my girlfriend Lois. She said no. Keep in mind this woman was probably 80 years old and I would imagine not a sexually viable replacement for me as far as my Lois was concerned, but 
then it hit me. Perhaps someone else worked here. I asked a few more questions, and then Meredith said, Do you have a picture of your girlfriend? And I said, Of course. The only photo I had of her on my phone at the time was of her dressed as Poison Ivy. For background, I sent it to my friends so that they could see how much better she looked as Lois Lane than Poison Ivy. Meredith immediately recognized her and said, Oh, you mean Maxine? She is in here very often. I just saw her yesterday, but it had been weeks before that. She told me to hold this. At this point, Meredith pulls out a bundle of fabric. It is brown and white. I recognize it instantly as the fabric she was getting for her gender-bender cosplay of Jimmy Olsen. Not bragging, but my idea. I then ask her what way Lois usually goes when she walks out the door. Meredith tells me she usually goes directly across the street and into another store. The used bookstore. A place I've taken her many, many times. They have old comics, old comic book movies, all types of gems on DVD and VHS. It is a safe haven for people like Lois, and people like me when I can get out of the house. And let's be honest, there are a lot of people that go in and out of that store that would be sexually viable replacements for me, I have to admit. I walked across the street and into the bookstore. I asked about Lois, they knew exactly who I was talking about right away. I knew from the way the guy behind the counter smiled, he knew more than he was letting on. Haven't seen her in a minute, but, uh, well, I guess you must be Clark? I stared at him for a moment. Yes. Yes, I am. Well, here. He slid a box across the counter. It was plain, brown cardboard. There was a string wrapped around and tied on top. For some reason, I could feel my heart. No, I could hear it beating louder than ever. There was something wrong with this box. I felt nervous, but excited. I started to untie the string when the guy said, Hey, just take that home. She wanted you to have it. She'd been coming in, paying it off for weeks now. It's yours. Then he smiled. Enjoy. I could tell he had unsavory, nasty thoughts about Lois just the way he looked right then. But curiosity beat out my need to squash this bug right where he stood. Yes, today would not be the day that I hand him his ass on a platter, Clark Kent Superman style. That would have to wait. I had a present to open. I got back to the apartment as fast as I could. I tore off the string, ripped the lid off the box, and saw what my Lois was saving up for. A blank, black VHS tape looked up at me. I picked it up and looked it over. I took it out of its case and finally saw a piece of white tape stuck to the front of it with something barely legible scrawled onto it. The Donner Cut. Of course I've seen Superman 2, the Richard Donner Cut, a million times plus one, so this didn't initially intrigue me all that much. I was absolutely disappointed. I wondered, why would Lois waste so much money on such a terrible surprise? Surely she knows I've seen this many times, and I own the DVD and Blu-ray. That is when it dawned on me. The Donner Cut was never on VHS. It was done in 2006, coinciding with the release of Superman Returns, the Brian Singer epic. Either there is something different about this, or Lois got taken for a ride by those bookstore freaks, 
using her general naivete to sell her a VHS dupe of a Blu-ray movie. I shuddered at the thought that she was so naive as to make this mistake, and also at the thought of those freaks taking her for a ride. It looked like someone's illegal dupe of it, like they ran a copy onto a blank tape, probably recorded over their sister's ballet recital, or their late grandfather Al's funeral if I had to guess it's something someone might accidentally tape over without having any experience of doing so. Of course I had a VCR. Actually, I had a dual VCR-DVD combo with the DVD burner built in so I could dupe all my old Lois and Clark tapes from back in the day to DVD. Preserving Dean Cain and Terry Hatcher as Clark and Lois has been one of my main projects since as far back as I can remember. I immediately put this Donner cut tape in and started it up. The familiar Donner opening, the one that actually makes sense coming out of Superman 1, not the Richard Lester abomination, started up just as I imagined. But something was off. First off, there was no music. Not the music from the 2006 Donner cut. If I must admit, the most disappointing part about that re-release, it took out so much of John Williams' classic score. Why? And not the music from the original theatrical release. But it wasn't just an absence of music. There felt like a black darkness in place of what the score should be. I couldn't quite place the feeling other than knowing it was just wrong. As the film continued, there were a few VFX shots that weren't complete. I realized what this was. The original Donner cut. Somehow, someway, I was watching Richard Donner's cut of the film, a rough draft before he was off the project and Richard Lester came in to ruin it. The audio was bad, some of the dialogue was inaudible or spoken by a different voice than the actors, stand-in ADR or something, I assumed. Lois Lane's voice sounded familiar. Not like Margot Kidder's voice, though, something else. For the record, I want to say that Margot Kidder is my number three on-screen Lois Lane. My Lois actually looks most like her of all the real Lois Lanes, except when she wears the Terry Hatcher wig. This is when it all becomes clear that this tape is absolutely sinister. Finally, I get to one of my favorite parts of the Donner cut. Lois figuring out Clark Kent is Superman once and for all. In the 2006 Donner cut, they used footage from the actor's screen test to finish this scene because it was scrapped for the theatrical cut and Donner never got to shoot it for real. But in this version, my version, it wasn't the same screen test footage. Someone who looks a lot like Reeves Clark Kent is standing in a bathrobe. In the real version, he wears a suit or tuxedo. We can only see the back of the head of Kidder's Lois Lane, although her hair looks different. I look closer. There are patches of hair missing. Through the interlaced squiggles and general obfuscation that comes with VHS quality, I watch as Clark Kent takes off his glasses and walks over to the woman. She's sitting in a metal folding chair. For more context, I should say, in the 2006 scene, they are standing in a hotel room. Lois is in a dress. She pulls out a gun and threatens to shoot Clark, knowing that he is Superman and knowing that the gun is shooting blanks. She does, he doesn't flinch, and she outs him once and for all as the big blue Boy Scout. Here, I haven't even seen Lois's face yet. Clark is closer to the camera now, his glasses off, 
I look close at his face, trying to make it out. His eyes look sunken, almost absent. I can see where eyes should be, but I can't actually see them. The room is dark. All you can see is the scarred, badly shaven head of Lois in the foreground, and Clark peering at her in his dirty robe. He's saying all the lines that Clark does in the scene. Lois, whoever she is, is sobbing. There's a high-pitched noise in the background, something that hadn't been there before. Clark opens his robe. His body is scarred with what look like flesh-colored tattoos. They're images, but I can't quite make them out. The more I look, the more I see and understand. Thin ribbons of raised skin form different superhero emblems all over his body. It is obvious they have been cut into his skin carefully and deliberately. The green lantern emblem on his shoulder, Batman down his arm, Superman's crest across his chest. I try to take note of any pattern or reason to the layout. I wonder if he knows of any of the deeper cuts in the DC universe. No booster gold, no deep blue, just the bigger ones. I find it an odd way to show your fandom by basically showing how little of the world you actually know. He's done reciting dialogue now. Lois's head bobs as she sobs. It isn't the layered voice anymore either. It is one distinct, familiar voice. In fact, I know that sob. I've heard it plenty. My heart sinks into my gut as it all becomes clear, or at least one thing becomes clear, and a whole bunch of new and terrifying questions flood in through the hole this revelation left behind. That sob was my Lois. I can't see her face on screen still, but now I'm trying to remember what my Lois's real hair looks like. She's in wigs so often it is hard to remember. I know that is her cry, but it could just be the audio. Then I realize it was her voice, doubling all of the Lois Lane lines throughout the movie up to this point. Her voice layered over top of someone else's. This though, this defeated, terrified sob, it is hers alone. But the hair, I can't tell. What does my Lois's scalp look like? What would it look like if it were shaven in patches, scarred and bruised from rough handling? Would it be this? Then my mind drifts. Did those bookstore freaks do this? Did she trust them a little too much and they took advantage of her in some sick role play? They tied her to a chair and made her recite words? Why her? Why me? Did I do something to them to make them target me? Where is she now? Did she leave because of me or because of the trauma from this tape? Was she in on it the whole time? Is this some sick prank to make me never look at Superman the same way again? Never gaze upon Lois Lane the same way? Never love the same way ever again? Clark sits on Lois's lap, straddling her on the chair. He breathes into her ear, then he bites it hard. Blood begins to rush out of the skin where his sharp teeth pierced through, but she doesn't scream. In fact, the crying stops immediately. Then he looks directly at the camera. For a full minute, I went back in time to doubt. 
A full minute, this devilish, disgusting maniac stares through me, his eyes only a suggestion, depths of darkness and nothing at all at the same time. I don't know why, but I throw up in my mouth. I have to pause the tape. Just as I grab the remote, I hear my lowest scream, NO! I look back up at the screen and it is playing the original 2006 Donner cutscene, the one with Lois and the gun in the hotel room with Clark, as if I didn't just see everything I saw. I hold the remote at the TV and rewind, but none of the footage that I just sat through is there. I'm losing my mind. I, I fast forward, it all seems like the normal 2006 cut. I rewind and start at the beginning, all the same. The weirdest part was, even those VFX shots that weren't complete that I saw before, were the 2006 completed ones now. The audio was all there, Lois spoke in just Margot Kidder's voice and not my Lois's voice layered over top of it. Everything was as it should be, but for me, nothing was right. I ran out the door and went to the bookstore. I was gonna really mess these guys up. I ran through the best and worst case scenarios. Best case, my Lois was in on it and it was all a big prank. Worst case, these guys bound and tortured Lois to get to me for some reason. I had to find out why. I got to the bookstore at 8pm. Closed. I went behind the store to see if anyone was coming in or out of the back entrance, thinking maybe someone was still there closing up. No one. I went back home at this point, thinking I'd gone completely insane. I was in a bizarro world, and everything that I thought was right was wrong. I put the tape back in and pressed play. I watched it three times that night. Nothing about it was strange. I don't remember falling asleep exactly, but I did. Then I woke up. I tried to take the tape out of my VCR, to take it to the bookstore and force those creeps to watch what they gave me, to tell them how disgusting they are, and to find out why they did this to me. And hopefully find my Lois. When I hit eject, the tape unspooled and destroyed my machine. Black tar and steam came out, something I'd never seen happen before with a problem tape. I grabbed the whole machine and ran out the door. At this point, nothing else on earth mattered to me. I stormed past the people on the street. Out of the way! I've got to get to the bookstore! They're ruining my life! They took everything from me! I got to the building where the bookstore is and tried opening the door. It was 10.30am. They were open, at least they should have been. If it were still the bookstore. I looked through the glass into the store. It was completely empty. People around me were looking at me strangely now. I was frantic. I had to get in there and get to the bottom of this. They just closed the bookstore and removed all the books overnight? How? I pounded on the door. Let me in! I know you're in there! Let me in! People started yelling at me, questioning me. Some people got their phones out. I didn't care. I had to get in. This whole thing was wrong. I heard sirens. Cops were on the way. I got panicked and anxious and I just had to get in there. I threw my VCR through the window. People screamed and ran. I looked through the hole I made, trying to squeeze through the door. 
I could feel the broken glass shredding my skin in all types of ways as I pushed my way through. I could just barely see something in the back of the empty room. A single folding chair. They left it there for me to see. Those monsters! By then the cops were there. They grabbed me and pulled me out of the broken glass. I tried my best to calmly explain everything. The cops searched the building as the paramedics tended to my ripped and torn skin. They didn't speak to me at all. The cops came back out holding their hands over their mouths. One threw up in a plant just outside the door. They looked at me, cuffed me, and threw me in one of the squad cars. I could see them talking to the paramedics before driving me to the station. I'll never forget the rest of that day, as they booked me for the murder of eight women, all bound and tortured in the basement, a Superman S carved into each of their chests. Once they saw that I had the same S carved into mine, they knew I was the one who did it. The paramedics confirmed that the broken glass couldn't have coincidentally carved me up in such a way, and that was all they needed. They didn't even ask about the other tattoos I had all over me. They didn't care. They searched my apartment and found even more incriminating evidence. Wigs, dresses, women's underwear. I told them all about my Lois, but they were convinced she didn't even exist. At least, not as my live-in 18-year-old girlfriend. I didn't do what they said I did, but... Eventually, my lawyer said I should just plead guilty so my parents could move on with their lives. We had the bookstore investigated, and it hadn't been there since ten years prior, according to the lease for the building. We had the owner of the fabric store, Meredith, investigated, and she didn't know anything about my Lois, Maxine, or anyone at all. She said I looked familiar, but couldn't place why. So, I finally gave in pleaded guilty. One of my two conditions for pleading guilty was to be able to see photos of the women they found in the old bookstore basement. I knew it was incriminating to even ask such a thing, but I just had to see if Maxine, my Lois, was one of the victims of this horrible, vanishing murder store. Hell, at this point, I just had to see if she was real. I looked at those eight photos over and over again, and not one of them was Maxine, at least not as I remember her. They took all of my things, of course. The second of my two conditions, though, was that they, whoever, the cops, the feds, a priest for all I know, someone, destroyed that tape. The tape of the Donner Cut. It was in the VCR, the one I threw into the bookstore, crashing the window and cutting me up. They told me there was no tape in the VCR. They said they found no such tape in my apartment. They said they went through hours upon hours of Lois and Clark episodes to find any evidence of the crimes they said I committed. No Donner cut. Please, if you're reading this and you happen to find this tape, destroy it. Don't let it destroy you like it did me. And Maxine, if you're out there reading this, I swear I didn't do this. How could I? 
I don't know how it happened, I don't know why, but I know the truth. Truth, justice, and the American way. This has been Haunted by Proxy.